Welcome to Parley, the Hindu's weekly discussion podcast. This is K. Bharat Kumar, your host for today. In this podcast, we have uh, Mr. B.K. Singhal, um, also known as the Telecom Man of India. He was uh, the former... Um, Chairman and Managing Director of VSNL uh, in the early to late 1990s. Uh, he was instrumental in bringing the internet to India and uh, chaperoning uh, the Indian technological space as we emerged from uh, the 1991 liberalization policy that helped us develop as an economy. Um, he's also co-authored a book called The Telecom Man, where he takes us through his professional life. And the book is as much about his career as it is about the transition of India into a technological powerhouse. Uh, thank you, Dr. Mr. Singhal, for joining us. Uh, we also have Dr. Sridhar here uh, from the IIIDB. Dr. V. Sridhar is professor at the Center for IT and Public Policy at the Institute. He has published um, a couple of books, The Telecom Revolution in India in 2012, Dynamics of Spectrum Management in 2014. He is currently authoring his third book uh, titled Emerging ICT Policies and Regulation. So thank you, Dr. Sridhar, for making time to be here. Welcome, both of you. So uh, like we have discussed before, the, uh, I've set out the context uh, to this conversation to both of you. Um, you know, it's interesting that after long years of rising tele-density uh, for um, India, uh, we've seen a slight uh, dip in the recent past. We've also seen a time of economic slowdown, which is impacting the ability to purchase. Uh, consumer demand is down across various sectors. But at the same time, we also have investors, um, you know, from across the globe lining up to invest in the telecom um, services space. So these are interesting times, and um, across uh, several issues that has been that have been plaguing the telecom industry, it would be great to have both of you uh, weigh in on these issues. So if we start with tele density, and I'd like to give uh, Mr. Single the opportunity to go first here, um, Mr. Single, how have you seen uh, you know the last 15 years for uh, uh, the Indian telecom space? And especially in the last few months, as consumer demand has been impacted across sectors, do you think that is impacting the telecom uh, subscriber base as well? As we see urban density, which has been the flag holder, um, actually seeing a dip. Thank you, Mr. Bharat Kumar. And thank you, Dr. Sridhar, uh, for being a co-panelist. And that uh, Mr. Bharat Kumar has given me the difficult task of uh, sort of opening batsman, uh, of course, not with a uh, beamer or anything, uh, but uh, let me try to uh, respond to the question. You see, tele-density has been increasing since 2002 and 2003. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the trigger point was brought about in 1999 when we moved away from upfront license fee payments or entry fee payments into pay as you earn regime, which is uh, you earn money and you pay a percentage of that as a license fee. So there was an entry fee and then there was a license fee on an ongoing basis. Uh, the initial attempt of the government when the auctions were, uh, uh, rather the licenses were auctioned in uh, 92, 93 time frame. The government wanted to uh, kind of uh, garner all the money which could be uh, available at that point in time, but soon realized that uh, uh, it's not going to work that way because uh, uh, there were no investables left after uh, they had, uh, uh, let's say, uh, collected uh, investors and uh, uh, had uh, uh, the business going. Anyway, that's history. So 99 was a critical year from where on uh, the tele telecom density uh, of cellular uh, started to increase. Uh, there were other changes also which were brought about. For example, the call party paying regime was also a deterrent because uh, most of the people would disconnect the call, see the number and then say, okay, we'll call back. So there were 
many, I would say, uh, steps which the government took to create a healthy environment uh, of, uh, uh, let's say, a service to the customers, um, which uh, there were hindrances here and there. For example, the uh, 2001 uh, wireless in local, local loop entry, backdoor entry, the so-called backdoor entry, uh, which again put some sort of breaks into the growth of the telecom network, but that was resolved and there was a good policy in 2003 and the growth in telecom uh, continued to be uh, mind-boggling and uh, uh, it was it was good for the industry. It was good for everyone else. As, so again, there were problems in 2007 when the flawed uh, TRA regulation of auction, not to auction, the remedy in case the uh, demand exceeds supply, uh, and you know the resultant uh, uh, so-called uh, uh, the, the the nefarious 2G scam. Uh, resulting into cancellation of uh, uh, licenses in 2012. But having said all that, the growth in the industry continued absolutely unabated. It continued unabated. Now, I think the question is that there is some dip and some drop in the consumer numbers and also there is drop in the revenue numbers. Um, well, we could attribute some of it to, say, the COVID-19, but that's a, a very, in my view, that's not a very permanent, uh, uh, say, fixture. But the point, and I, I mean, it has also, the, the drop in revenue is also because of, I think you have used somewhere, uh, the brute competition is also because of the brute competition and then uh, the TRI is saying that look there is no floor for uh, uh, it's uh, the tariffs are foreborn and uh, there is no floor uh, you can go to any level I mean literally you could offer a service free so there have been again certain uh, irrationalities let us say uh, which have resulted in a negative growth of the revenues but let me address the specific issue of the num drop in numbers. You see, we have been living with multiple SIMs, especially in the urban areas. Uh, everyone has two or three SIMs. Uh, the reason being that um, it's just try trying to get a feel of which subscriber is better, which sub subscriber, oh, sorry, which service provider is better, who is offering uh, better booking of services and especially you see the low-end customers they are very slippery customers uh, somebody offering 10 rupees less of uh, uh, 80 or 90 rupees uh, uh, prepaid um, keeps moving and people have been having it it's a it's a done thing the people have been having multiple sins uh, amongst all classes of subscribers, amongst all classes of subscribers. As a matter of fact, TRA by itself admitted at one point in time that the actual numbers are literally 30% of what numbers you see uh, being bandied around by uh, various operators, etc. So I am not unduly worried Okay. So, thank you. Uh, Dr. Sridhar, uh, one is, of course, uh, do you have any other perspective or do you agree with uh, Mr. Singhal? And if you do, do you think we've reached a point of saturation or given TRAI's uh, admission that, you know, we've probably 30% overstated, uh, we'll actually continue to see a dip in subscriber base and tele-density? Uh, so, Bharat, uh, uh, thanks. Uh, and thanks to Mr. Singhal also for uh, uh, answering this particular question. Okay, so uh, I'm not too much worried about the actual tele density or the uh, subscriber base because, uh, as you are probably aware, uh, you know we have reached almost uh, the near, uh, you know, 
about 200% in the urban areas and uh, close to 60 to 70% in the rural areas. Uh, so I'm not too much worried about the uh, actual subscriber base. I am too much, I am worried about the broadband subscriber base. Now, if you look at, so we have moved away from voice. I mean, tomorrow, the, the future or even currently, and it is only about the mobile broadband. You know, for example, if you look at the recent statistics from PRIA uh, performance uh, criteria, uh, we have uh, about 656 million broadband subscribers, mobile broadband subscribers, and a very, very small amount, about 20 million, 19 million to be precise, of fixed broadband subscribers, right? And this is a concern because, uh, you know, assuming that uh, we have about 80% of the population covered through mobile, whether it is one SIM or two SIM, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we are still, uh, you know, covering uh, roughly 50 to 60% of the population through mobile broadband. Now, since last year, it has increased by about 200 uh, million. In the last year at the same time, so about 450 million. Today, it has come to about 650 million. So 200 million subscribers have been added in the last one year, mobile broadband, and that is a good news. But still, we have a lot of ground to cover, right? And this is very much important. The second worrying aspect uh, is fixed broadband. You know, we have about 35 million uh, fixed uh, Dell subscribers, direct exchange line subscribers in the country, uh, out of which the fixed broadband connects only 19 million, you know, roughly uh, you know, less than half. Uh, and uh, fixed broadband is very important uh, for our future. You know, for example, especially uh, when we are moving towards teleeducation, telemedicine. I mean, as we have seen in recent uh, COVID-19 times, uh, the work from home aspect, we need a reliable uh, uh, fixed line broadband, uh, which is pathetic in India. So, uh, and uh, there are other worrying aspects with respect to subscriber base. Uh, you know, for example, if you look at the wireless broadband subscribers, um, the BSNL has hardly, you know, overall total mobile, uh, broadband subscriber base, BSNL has just about 21.5 million, which is roughly 3% of the broadband subscriber base in the country, right? Uh, uh, Reliance Geo has about 58% of the broadband subscriber base. Bharti Airtel has about uh, you know 144 million. Vodafone is about 111 million, and so on. But BSNL just has connected 3% of the mobile broadband subscriber base in the country. That is a worrying aspect because as a public operator uh, with a Pan India presence, uh, you expect more of broadband connections to be coming from BSNL. In fact, if you look at the landline broadband. Uh, you know, out of 35 million, close to 28 to 30 million are owned by BSNL and MTNL. So, uh, in landline, uh, you know, out of this 19 million of fixed uh, broad, uh, broadband, I'm sure that BSNL has a good part of it. What it lacks is mobile broadband. So, in mobile broadband, the telecom operator BSNL or even MTNL has not made any breakthrough at all. So, this is a worrying aspect with respect to connectivity, right? And uh, uh, so, so I'll park here and then we'll come back and discuss about the other aspects. Okay. So I think that sets the pace for our conversation. Um, as we look into the future, the past is always important. So we will look back into the skeletal density questions um, as we come to the close of the conversation. So the next issue that I wanted to discuss with both of you, and it's right up uh, both your alleys. Um, Dr. Sridhar, you've written a lot about this. Uh, and Mr. Singhal, you've been in the thick of the action uh, when it comes to policy. And uh, here I'm specifically talking about the AGR dues that the telecom companies seem to owe the government. The government has made its demands. It's gone to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court has said, uh, so far and no further, you guys pay up. So there have been a lot of questions saying, one, is it fair to the telecom companies? Because they're already battling high debt. And Mr. Singhal, in his early articles, I noticed you've argued that it's because of poor business planning and vision that, you've, uh, that the industry has run up so much debt partly to blame and then partly uh, the regulator is to blame as well. Um, so in, in the context of AGR, is it even fair uh, to the government? Because after all, the government represents the people of India, the money is owed to them. Or is it fair to the telecom companies because they had to sign this no matter what and accept the definition of AGR? So I'd like uh, both of you to weigh in. And like before, I'd like Mr. Singhal to go first. Thank uh, you. Uh, I think I even one down on there. Uh, um, you see, the question of AGR uh, is a very vexed question, to be very honest. And I have written a critical review uh, in uh, one or two uh, 
pink papers and also in one or two telecom uh, journals. Uh, journals. Uh, the question, the uh, in fact, uh, uh, I have shared with you uh, the article I had written in, which was printed by Financial Express. See, there are a couple of points uh, which are misplaced in the judgment by uh, Supreme Court. See, first of all, they are putting penal interest uh, on the uh, telecom operators, kind of announcing them or painting them that they are willful defaulters, which is which is which is not established. Are they are they willful defaulters? You see, the penal interest in, is imposed if they are willful defaulters. Uh, I think in my article, I have given a reference by Supreme Court to say that the penal interest can only be imposed on willful defaulters. They are not willful defaulters. How have they come to a conclusion that they are willful defaulters? That is one big flaw in this AGR stuff. The second big flaw is that the case has been going on for the last 15-16 years and the government has merrily now put the interest on the base on the basis of the number of years at some LIBOR plus 2% or something like that. Now, where on earth is the industry to be blamed for the delay? The delay has been from both sides. If industry has gone to the court and had a favorable judgment uh, from TDSAD during the Justice Alum times, which was very clear and categorical that you cannot have AGR uh, included for uh, non-telecom uh, services. Uh, if I remember, it was para 87 or something of the uh, judgment. And then government decided to go against that judgment to Supreme Court. In the Supreme Court, then it dragged on and on and on. And finally, uh, somewhere around October, November last year, there was this judgment coming out of the Supreme Court. So that is point number two as to why have they been, first of all, treated as willful defaulters. Second, why should the government be charging them for all the years, which is a mutual uh, drag in the court, which has been going on and on and on. Um, of course, the entire thing is predicated because of the faulty definition of AGR, which industry really nearly knowingly, unknowingly, unwittingly accepted when they wanted to migrate to the new NTP uh, policy, which is uh, uh, that you go, you pay the license fee and you pay an entry fee, which got fixed at 1658 crores and then license fee was fixed at 10% or 12% of AGR and spectrum charge, which has, of course, uh, uh, been, uh, has been going down. Uh, as we have moved along. So that that's the, 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 the crux of the problem has been the, the faulty interpretation of AGR, which the government is Now, I also want to bring out another very interesting uh, factor. Justice Bobde in the Devas case, ask Devas, why don't you brave off the interest? Because our liability is increasing every day. Now, if Justice Bobde can ask in one case that, hello industry, wave off the interest, why can't the same thing be applied to, in this case, also wave off the interest? The second point is that in the Enron case as well, I think I sent you the link, uh, maybe relevant is that there is no criminality in this. So therefore, uh, because there is no criminality, perhaps they can wave off the interest. So that is another uh, aspect which has to be looked into. And um, uh, maybe I come back to this later. Uh, I have few suggestions going forward as to what should be done by the government uh, going forward on the AGR and the taxation part to see the 
industry to be in the pink of the hell. I, I think let uh, uh, Professor Shridhar uh, have his uh, uh, views as well. Yes, uh, so Bharat, thanks. Uh, thanks for setting the context. So I would like to look at it from a different point of view, Bharat. So, what is AGR? AGR comprises of license, I mean, the, the, commit, uh, the, the, the dues which need to be paid, the regulatory fees which need to be paid, are broadly categorized into two areas. One is the license fee, which is 5% universal service obligation fee, plus 3% as license fee, so total of 8% of the AGR. The second one is the spectrum charges, the spectrum usage charges, which range from 1% for the 2300 megahertz, which was bought by Reliance uh, way back in 2010. Uh, up to 7 to 8% depending upon whether uh, the uh, telcos are holding liberalized spectrum or unliberalized spectrum. This is huge. I mean, we are talking about 8 plus 7, most probably about 15% of the adjusted gross revenue going as regulatory fees to the government, right? Uh, I have argued again and again and again that this is a flawed regulatory policy because if you look at any other country, the license fee is not more than 3%, including the universal service obligation fund. Here we are charging 8%, plus, apart from that, the annual spectrum usage charges. Right Now, the spectrum usage charges, there is no reason why government should levy a spectrum usage charge when the spectrum is auctioned. You know, for example, in last year, last auction, 2016, the telcos coughed up up to 60,000 crores on uh, buying spectrum. Once you buy the spectrum with this huge upfront cost, why should we charge again and again every year for the spectrum usage? Because spectrum is not something which will deteriorate over time, right? It doesn't have, uh, you know, uh, depreciation cost. It doesn't have any uh, management cost associated with it, right? So why should we charge spectrum usage charges at all if the spectrum is auctioned and the operators are willing to pay an upfront fee? So I've been arguing against this for quite some time. Now, uh, having uh, having uh, you know having been in this situation, uh, the Supreme Court has just gone by the executive order. Right? The executive order says that this is the adjusted gross revenue which is due from these companies and therefore they have to pay that. Right? So the only thing which can be corrected is for the Department of Telecommunication to take a bold decision on cancelling or revising the adjusted gross revenue that is due from the operators, right? uh, excluding penalty, for example, as Mr. Simple mentioned. Now, if we don't do that, we are already seeing two telecom operators already in the brink of collapse. One is almost on the verge of collapse. Now, uh, this is not good at all for the telecom industry because then we will be left with duopoly, right? And uh, that is, uh, uh, you know, that is not a good situation to be in. If you remember, in 2008 to uh, 2010, 2011 time frame, we had nine to ten operators providing service in a particular service area. When I mentioned this to uh, Federal Communication Commission, uh, you know, CTO when he came over here to Bangalore, he was astounded. How can you have a nine to ten operators providing service in a telecom service area? This must be hyper competition. At that time, we wrote a paper. We also advised the government that in the steady state, India, with its huge mobile population, can potentially have up to six to seven operators. Now it is down to four. If it comes come, if it comes to two, then we are doing a disservice to the telecom industry and to the consumers at large. So that's my viewpoint. So the government, at least even today, they can make a decision uh, on revising these regulatory levies because it's one of the highest in the world and it will kill the telecom sector and also the consumers. Okay. So to your point, uh, uh, Professor Sridhar, um, I think two days ago I saw a headline, I think in our own paper, where both the government and the industry committed to the Supreme Court saying we will not come back to you for a recalculation of the AGR. So that seems to be the most recent development. That um, And then, you know, there's one thing. So if I were a company, and you know, starting back from 2002 or 2005, 2007, I know that there are demands on my resources where I have to pay a certain fee. I may not agree to it. Uh, so the two things that I could have done, right, as a company, one is, and I don't know if that should be the benchmark for all uh, demands of the government from private sector, where the government says, okay, you owe me this, you pay it up, and then 
you know, come back and say, let me fight it out in court. This at least helps you prevent interest accumulation. That's uh, one point. And secondly, if uh, the government and the industry have committed to the Supreme Court, we won't go back and recalculate AGR. Are we potentially looking at uh, two or three? And looks like Airtel may be able to better weather this uh, uh, challenge than Vodafone idea. And we don't know how it will play out. Do you think we are uh, setting ourselves up for a two or three player telecom market? So definitely, I mean, Bharat, uh, uh, you know, um, given the legalities, yes, the telco should have calculated, should have paid the fees, and then later on, what, uh, instead of dragging it so long uh, in the uh, courts. So that is definitely, a, um, you know, uh, that is a fault on the uh, on the part of the operators to have dragged this issue to this stage, right, when they cannot really go back. The second uh, thing that you have said is, yes, we are looking possibly at about two to three player market. Uh, if this comes through, then I am not sure whether Vodafone uh, UK will continue to infuse capital into Vodafone idea, right? Because as we have seen, uh, the, 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 the CEO has already made the remarks, uh, you know, it is going through a very rough time. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we saw a lot of people uh, like AT&T, for example, Mr. Sindhal must be aware of that. In the 19, you know, soon after our mobile sector was opened up for foreign direct investment to come to India and then get back, right? So all the foreigners, foreign companies which invested in India actually went back. Again, same thing happened in 2008 when it is and all these access telecommunication, all these companies which invested in India saw no return and they went back. And the same thing is going to possibly happen to Vodafone, right? So that means that we are basically looking at three player operators. Now, World over, you know, even if you look at uh, the US, uh, in a particular area, there are only three to four operators. So I will not say that that is really, really bad, as long as the three are well equipped to compete against themselves, right? I mean, if as we are seeing, there seems to be a monopoly emerging in this particular three sector player as well, in which case it will not be uh, good for the consumer because consumers will be left out of choice. Okay, okay, thank you. Uh, Mr. Singhal, uh, you said you do have some suggestions and if you could uh, add your viewpoint to one more corollary question I have. So you've run a telecom company, right? I mean, and if I know that dues are uh, being mounted upon me, whether I agree with the government or not, the least I could do as a telecom company or any company for that matter is to start making provisions, right? I mean, if I'd made these provisions over a period of 15, 18 or 20 years or whatever the period is, uh, would it have, it have been easier for me as a company to deal with these demands? You see, it won't have really solved the problem, even if you had made provisions. Um, because once you start making provisions, generally the mindset then is accepting that, okay, we are likely to be in default. And those are some of the concerns which I'm quite sure uh, the the industrialists would have in their minds that, okay, they are making provisions, so they are, in case the judgment goes against them, uh, they will pay up because they have made provisions. And let me also just say at this point that uh, when Vodafone purchased uh, uh, from SR, they made a provision of something like $3 billion uh, to be paid to the Indian government uh, which the Indian government has been demanding, they made the provisions, but they have still not paid those uh, $3 billion and they are still fighting in the courts. Uh, I mean, I'm just ma making a reference. So provision or provisioning um, can be okay in a public sector because there you go through three, four levels of audit and uh, the auditor is unwilling to sign your uh, uh, balance sheet unless... Uh, you have guarded yourself completely, quite unlike, to be very honest, in the private sector. But I have slightly a different take on this, uh, and which I think uh, Professor Sridhar also alluded to, is we are taxing two issues. We are taxing the industry, the success, industry's success in perpetuity at 33%. We are not leaving the money they make out of the growth for any investables like, let's say, broadband, uh, fixed mobile, etc., etc. So there is a need, a hard look which is required by the government to look at 
this 33% in perpetuity. If I earn one rupee or I had earned one rupee, I paid 33 paisa. Now I earn two rupees, I still pay 66 paisa. And the industry also has not been very smart, deliberately, I think, to present to the government some spreadsheets to say, okay, you reduce this 33% gradually, but we will ensure a minimum revenue to you from telecom sector. I think Dr. Sridhar mentioned about the upfront spectrum charge which we have paid. But I am also trying to tackle this 33% which is ever increasing. It, they, there can be revenue neutralization. And there are cases worldwide, for example, Ofcom in UK uh, told the government or the, all, all the industry as well that you just can't be in a mode of windfall profits all the time, so you pay more tax. And if they were sort of not doing well, they got dispensations uh, so that the industry remained in the pink of health. So that's, a, that's another question which should be posed before the government by the industry that why don't you go into revenue neutralization mode to say this is the date, say 2010, 11, 12, we paid you this much of revenue when we were on top. We commit the same amount of revenue but not because of the growth, but also uh, uh, a minimum revenue will pay plus infl inflation so that your revenues or your books are uh, balanced for all times to come that this is the uh, revenue from uh, telecom industry. So I am of the firm belief that the government should look at ways and means to reduce this 33% in perpetuity. That is point number one. The second point is that government has all the powers as I think there are articles which have been written that we should have a bold prime minister like late Atal Bihari Vajpayee who could change the policy in 1999 and waved off crores and crores of rupees then and turned the industry into absolutely glowing uh, health. Why can't the government look at, okay, the operators may not go, but that government can sue about to take a decision and look at it dispassionately uh, on the wrinkles like, why should we they pay, be paying for the entire duration of the legal battle? Why should we pay in interest? Those are all executive uh, uh, issues which can be sorted out by the government. I think those are, those are the issues which should be brought into public Okay. Uh, Mr. Singh, there's a question for you. So I know you have, uh, you know, strong opinions. You did have strong opinions about the 2G uh, scam and so on and so forth. So for, a, especially after that uh, development where, uh, you know, so many lakhs and lakhs of crores of rupees was due to the government as per a post-factor calculation by the CAG on the 2G uh, uh, spectrum options. So any government after that would be very wary of giving away stuff to the industry, even if it means it's good health for the industry, good for the economy. So it is a matter of perception, right? So how would you, if, if, if the government came to you for advice, what would you tell them? You see, there was a, uh, I, by the way, appeared before the PAC uh, three times. I was a witness. Uh, I have been quoted in the PAC report 27 times. You see, I was asked to give the calculations. I gave the calculations from five, let us say, models, five models. The simplistic model was that you inflect, uh, inflation index the entry fee of 2003 to entry fee of uh, 2007 or 2008, uh, which would have been at about 7,000 crores or 8,000 crores. That was a very simple, uh, you know, reasonable way of saying that, look, this is what it, it could be done. The second one was the share price of various telecom companies at that stage. Then we indexed it, indexed it into the BSC uh, Sensex movement and how much it has appreciated. And then we had also, uh, the main problem arose because in the secondary market, the spectrum was sold at six times and seven times. 
Now, that money didn't go to the industry. It didn't go to the industry. That money went to some unscrupulous people. You see, if the money had gone to the industry, nobody would have raised a finger to say that you sold the spectrum cheap. The multiples of the selling the 2G spectrum after they acquired the licenses in 2007-2008 was six times, seven times, eight times. Now, that was the valuation. That, that was the valuation which was picked by CAG. So there were five or six valuations varying from something like 30,000 crores for four licenses or five licenses, going up to this astronomical number of 176,000 or 46,000 crores. Okay, the point is this was later, later corrected by uh, the then Honorable France Minister, Mr. Sidambaram, and said, Oh, but by the way, if you want to sell your company, you will not sell your existing shares. You will issue new shares, which means the money would then come into the company. But that it was too late. See, the, the, the point is, the TRA regulations, recommendation of August, 2000, August 2007 were very seriously flawed. Very seriously flawed. The regulators stayed away from saying what will be the outcome in case demand exceeds supply. There was no mention of that. If that was mentioned, come out, come back to us if the demand exceeds supply. Then this problem wouldn't have been there because he would have then suggested auction. And by the way, let me also remind everybody. Page 30 of the recommendations of 2003 by Bajal very clearly said that any future license with Spectrum has got to be auctioned. Very clearly said. Complete defiance of a policy which was approved by the Parliament in 2003. It was placed on the table of Parliament by Mr. Shuri when he made these changes. So the, I mean, I, I have, there I have no, uh, what you call, sympathy of the government of the day. Uh, they, they really they really destroyed the industry at that time. It was an unavoidable, uh, what you call, uh, uh, flaw. It was a it was a, <laughs> a constellation of poor regulation, poor administration, somebody not listening to somebody, PM saying I don't know, and PM in December two thousand seven makes an announcement that we will auction. The spectrum, you can do, do have his statement. He said, spectrum is a scarce national resource. It must be distributed equitably in a fair manner, recognizing the economic value of this scarce national resource. He, he made a speech in Vigyan Bhavan over some 1,000 delegates, and everybody was clapping that, okay, some bold decision has been taken. And here is Mr. Raja, walks out, give an interview to Times of India and other newspapers, because I remember the being approached, saying, Raja says, I'm not going to option, auction 2G spectrum, period. So he didn't talk to the spectrum. Okay. So um, thank you for that insight, uh, Mr. Singular. It actually gave us an insight view of what has flowed up. The water that had flowed under the bridge over a period of time. Uh, my next question is to do with ARPUs, and we've talked about the industry being teetering on the edge, one or two players uh, at the brink of extinction, uh, and ARPUs are have historically been, um, you know, at comparatively low, very low compared to uh, you know global standards. Uh, and you know, we came across a Jeffrey's report uh, that Atel was quoting, saying it should be 300. Uh, you know, ARPU average revenue per user should be 300. Uh, that's probably more than twice what it is now. So given that um, the industry has not been faring well, do you foresee average revenue per user going up and hence the health of the industry going up? How do you think this is going to play? Uh, Professor Sridhar, would you like to go here? Uh, I'm just, uh, uh, you know, quoting some figures here, right? I mean, you're correct. Uh, you know, you're correctly said about 300 ranges, the ARPU. Uh, now, uh, according to the ITU ICT price bracket study, uh, 
uh, India is uh, ranked 49th in the mobile broadband data plans, right? Uh, so for about 1.5 GB per month, um, our, uh, you know, uh, average uh, data plan rate is at about $4.75 per month, right? Uh, adjusted for purchasing power parity. Now, the world average, according to the GSMA database, uh, R2 of the operators for who are providing mobile data services at about 1.5 GB per month is about $8.45. So we are roughly, you know, we are, I mean, we are uh, very low compared to the international average in terms of R2. Right? Now, this R2 combined with an increase in the volume can probably make up for uh, the, uh, you know, the loss in revenue because of uh, intense competition. Right? Uh, so in the, uh, you know, between 2012 to 2016, we, uh, you know, we saw this uh, drop in R2 and uh, later in after 2016, because of the entry operator Reliance Geo with aggressive data plans, uh, the R2 again declined because of price decline. Okay? Now, uh, so this R2 is not sustainable at all for, because as uh, you, have, uh, you know, Mr. Sindhal has correctly pointed out, uh, uh, there is no extra revenue for the telecom operators to invest uh, in the networks, which is very much required. So the R2 has to go up. Now, the question is, how will the R2 go up? Okay. Now, it is not uh, through pure data uh, usage fees. Uh, the R2 can go also go up uh, based upon the content that is generated or creating a, a larger ecosystem. Uh, the operators um, playing the role of not just connectivity and bandwidth providers, but also as solution providers. Uh, it is possible that the telecos can uh, actually uh, tie up with businesses, especially in 5G and IoT, in order to uh, have other avenues for revenue you know, than the retail sector. So these are all possible ways by which the output of the operator can actually increase. The business output can definitely increase. And those are all the possible options for the telcos. But, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, now we have seen that, you know, the entry operator, the, the, uh, you know, the new entrance strategy of uh, uh, pricing it uh, very low uh, because uh, uh, the operator already had excess capacity. Uh, uh, you know, now we have witnessed that uh, the prices might go up, uh, but still, uh, you know, given the market such as India, I don't see uh, the retail customer R2 to be going up very high, right? It has to be compensated through additional value-added services by the operators, including business. That's my take on this. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Singhal, uh, do you have a view? Because that's one point that I had when actually hyper-competition, that's what the global players seem to see when there were nine players in India, and whereas now that we have three other than the government player and actually there is hyper competition because the other two people Atel and Vodafone are wondering how to match this uh, you know free voice but data priced kind of competition so do you have a view on how this is going to play out as far as average revenue per user is concerned you see if you look at the data usage per sub per month growth it has grown 43 times in the last 3 years in september 16 it was 0.235 GB per sub per month. And now it is close to 10 GB per sub per month. Um, the point to be noted here is that there is what I call tariff rebalancing, which is how do we tariff the data vis-a-vis uh, -vis voice is what needs to be looked into. Uh, I, I have res my reservations that the tariffing of data is still not being uh, properly carried out. Uh, I am not saying that there should be uh, obnoxious numbers for uh, uh, data charging, but there should be reasonable numbers for data charging. There are reasons why I say this. See, for example, Today, uh, would you believe that about 60% or so of the long-distance calls, whether internal or external, are running on internet or broadband connectivity? People are hardly making any 
any switch calls. Now, if that be so, and this is what we have, and also we have even given inputs to DRAI, if that be so, let there be studies as to how much of revenue which has migrated away from the conventional switched business into the packetized or the internet business and then look at look into the tariffs for the customer or subscriber uh, for data and also for voice there are there are still a large number of customers who are using basic voice service so there has to be a uh, tariff uh, for the voice as well but uh, see there are two factors one is to look at the tariff and two to stop this obnoxious uh, free for all free this free that uh, as a matter of fact regulator to some extent is also at fault when uh, geo came into uh, play and gave some one year of uh, free data and free voice uh, blah 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 uh, he should have intervened at that stage itself that you are not doing any favor to anybody not even to yourself and at the same time you are hurting the industry see there was a lot of uh, brouhaha on this that the regulator decided not to act let's be very clear there is no doubt in my mind that the telecom will continue to grow every time i look at telecom i only see this as the what you call tip of the iceberg i have never ever got I <laughs> if I could see the iceberg below. So, what I'm saying is, telecom will grow, but allied with it is fair competition and fair, fair tariffing, affordable tariffing. That's what needs to be done. So, which means uh, you're saying uh, the regulator should come in and say there is a certain floor uh, for the voice calls below which you cannot go, and even uh, internet to internet voice calls at least domestically should not be permitted because there used to be a law and i don't know what the status is like you can call your cousin in california internet to internet but not your uh, you know uncle in bombay if you're calling from say delhi uh, i don't know what the status of that law is so on these two points mr single one is are you saying there should be a minimum tariff for voice calls and what should be the uh, you know uh, regulators ruling on internet to internet calls so First of all, Bharat, I have a very simple axiom. Don't fight technology. Technology is a facilitator. Okay? So let's not fight to say you can't call my cousin or I can't call Bharat in Chennai, uh, but I can call my sister in California. No, I'm not saying that. I, I have never propagated that. All I'm saying is that you have practices and tariff put in place by i mean we have we have given inputs to tri on this uh, when their uh, revisiting tariff came some six months or one year before that please calculate what is the amount of tariff uh, traffic which has moved away from the conventional uh, tra uh, traffic flow to internet traffic flow and then come out with the tariff plans, but don't stop it. Don't stop it. Technology will find its loopholes. Okay. So I think in the earlier comment that uh, Dr. S uh, Sridhar made, uh, he referred to 5G spectrum. So uh, given the, uh, you know, the state of the industry right now, and, you know, they may not even have money, many of the players may not even have money to pay the government uh, on their dues, um, are we ready for the auction for the 5G spectrum? Uh, you know, COVID apart, once the COVID madness is behind us, if the spectrum auctions were to take place, is the industry ready to make use of it? And even if it did, it has to be hyper competitive because I think I read in one of the articles that uh, Mr. Single forwarded to me that uh, the tariffing should be much better there. It should be seen as a luxury offering. But unless there is hyper-competition there, uh, the, the business that comes in may not be adequate to justify the amount spent on obtaining the 5G spectrum for the service providers. 
Dr. Sridhar, would you like to go first here? Uh, yes, correct. Uh, see, uh, 5G, uh, see, we have moved from, you know, in 1G it was voice and it was controlled by the operators, 2G it was data, still controlled by the operators, uh, 3G and 4G we have seen uh, content application providers, which is internet companies uh, providing over the top services and they appropriated much value, right? And therefore they relegated the telecom companies to uh, normal bandwidth providers. 5G is going to be very different. 5G is not about connectivity and high speed only. It is about creating an ecosystem. Ecosystem which consists of, for example, equipment manufacturers, the domain, uh, uh, you know, representatives and so on. For example, in the case of healthcare, uh, it is an ecosystem which has to be created consisting of telecom operators, uh, healthcare providers, hospitals, governments and so on. Right? Uh, which, uh, you know, and also the, the uh, the system integrators which provide internet of things and machine to machine communication and so on so 5g is more about creating an ecosystem right and this for this ecosystem to come up i mean this is the correct time for us right? because most of the countries have already launched commercially 5g so we uh, we have uh, you know we, we have some good reasons because dsdsi which is the standard body in india has also uh, you know communicated a standard for uh, rural areas, which has been accepted, which is in the process of, uh, you know, it's being processed by ITU for uh, you know, possible inclusion of 3G. So uh, it is a good time for us to uh, start thinking about 5G. Right? Now the question is about the spectrum that is needed for 5G. Now 5G, uh, you know, there are specific spectrum bands, such as, for example, 2426 high frequency, 2426 gigahertz band, or 60 GHz band. Uh, which are uh, suitable for picosim operation in 5G. But 5G can also be operated in uh, other spectrum as well. We need to have spectrum so that high bandwidth intensive applications can be provided to the end users. India is poor in electrical spectrum. We don't have enough spectrum for the operators. Despite the consolidation that has taken place, still the operators do not have adequate spectrum to provide a low latency, high coverage, High reliable communication services, uh, intensive uh, intense bandwidth communication services. We need to release a lot of spectrum. Now, the spectrum, uh, the lot of spectrum, I mean, lot of uh, you know, large uh, blocks of spectrum can be released only in the high frequency bands. DRI has given the recommendation way back in 2018 about releasing 3.4 and 3.6 gigahertz. Uh, that has not yet been done because the auction is yet to take place. Now, 24, 26 gigahertz. Uh, that uh, frequency band has to be released uh, by the government for uh, precocial operation. Now, these are all put in uh, the back burner and uh, it, it does not come up. Now, uh, whether the operators will be able to pay for the spectrum, even if it is optional. Okay. Now, there is one important uh, part, uh, point which uh, we have to note down, right? We have uh, included, uh, you know, simultaneous multiple benefits in the auction. Uh, after this honorable Supreme Court verdict from 2010 onwards. This is an excellent option, right? The methodology is very well suited and it has been used widely uh, throughout the world. Now, what is wrong is the setting of the reserve prices. We have always set the reserve prices based upon the winning bid price of the previous auction, which is never done in any country in the world, right? And therefore, having a very high reserve price puts off the operators. 700 megahertz spectrum, uh, which was which went unsold in 2016 is remaining vacant for the last four years. What have we gotten? Right? If we had reduced the reserve price by 700 spectrum, at least that would be used by the operators. Now it is lying vacant and it will again be put up on auction. And if the reserve price are high, then the operators will not have any money to pay for that and they will not bid for it. Right? We advocate actually starting with a zero reserve price, right? Because you know, the simultaneous multiple round ascending auction will extract true value from the bidders. It is an excellent mechanism. Why artificially increase the reserve price so that either the spectrum gets goes unsold or the operators pay huge amount resulting in winners case. So my take on this is that the government should release 3.4, 3.6 gigahertz, 24, 26 gigahertz for 5G and then set the reserve price as low as possible even at zero for the operators to extract true value of the spectrum. That's my take on it, Bharat. Thank you, Dr. Sridhar. Mr. Singhal, uh, one is, of course, the spectrum issues that uh, Dr. Sridhar has dwelt upon, and also whether the industry is ready for this uh, at, at this point in time, given their finances. 
let me start by giving you a global picture. I'm quite sure Professor Sridhar also would be aware. Uh, you see, the latest count is something like 100 million worldwide 5G consumers. And would you believe 80% of those are in China? 80%. Outside, outside world has not more than 20 to 25 million consumers outside. Number two, there are literally three technologies today. One is the Huawei ZT technology. Then you have Nokia. Then you have Ericsson. The standardization of the so-called uh, open radio SX network, software-driven networks. There are various other acronyms. I don't want to throw them around. They are in the process of being standardized. And by the way, there is no American standard today. There is no American standard. So it's Europeans versus the Chinese. And they are two different technologies uh, which are in existence today. So therefore, the industry, rather than saying that we don't want, the industry is also waiting and watching as to which, now with the sanctions, as to which technology to choose. They have very limited choice. And they would want into a technology which is interoperatable. I, I, I certainly don't want to buy Nokia and also Ericsson and say, oh, but by the way, they don't work with each other. That's not how the industry doesn't work. The handshake, the interoperability is prime in any industry anywhere. See, that's, uh, these are figures I'm quoting from, I attended a CUTS webinar about two weeks ago. I attended another webinar day before yesterday, which was uh, uh, organized by a small uh, think tank group. And this is the state of play in the world around. So people are asking questions, why should we be the guinea pigs? And third, most important, what is 5G? As Professor Shridhar in his opening comments stated, 5G is a bandwidth which has to be used by consumers and consumers must have devices to use those bandwidths. Again, in a webinar, the I won't name the company and the girl, she was claiming herself to be an expert. You know the rationale she gave for 5G? You can let click before you bat your eyelid. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. Another example she gave. The automobile factories would require mobile 5G. Come on. Mobile 5G for what? They want a big fiber fat pipe and then distribute it by a Wi-Fi wide area network or local area network to various stations to control their robots, to control their quality, control their inventory, to control various things. She gave a rock example. She said, no. And incidentally, I think their professor Sridhar could if uh, put a sort of uh, real number. The fixed users are going to be something like 80-85% and mobile users are going to be about 15%. And the use of ENV band in the dense urban areas, has anyone seen or discussed about the health hazards, the obstructions, the complications? Israel has not adopted ENV bands yet because they say there are health hazards, because there are population problems. You see, the point is that we get into this, somehow the euphoria, E-band, V-band, dense population, millimeter waves. I think we need to address the issues in a more practical, realistic, 
way. In my mind, I have a 5G in my house today. I'm talking to you on a 35 MB because uh, I have a wireless LAN, but my fixed fiber from BSNL gives me 80 MB, 90 MB. If I'm sitting next to the BSNL router, Wi-Fi router, I get 70 MB. Sorry to interrupt, Mr. Singhal, but what is your view that uh, we, we can afford to wait for 5G uh, as a country before and fix our problems before we get in there? I think we should wait, not rush into, and we should educate the government. 5G bandwidth, higher bandwidth, you can get on fiber. Uh, Mr. Singhal, sorry, um, I'm butting in. I think um, Dr. Sridhar has a hard stop. I just have one more question. So given all of the problems that uh, we've been facing as an industry and the opportunities ahead of us, so what gives global tech majors and private equity you know, uh, investors the confidence that you know there is still a lot of juice left in the telecom industry and they've lined up to invest, albeit in one uh, player, that is Reliance Geo. Uh, so, there is a lot of hope left in the telecom industry or is it going to be a one-horse player that everybody seems to be backing, which is not great for the country. You need multiple players to compete. Dr. Sridhar, please go. Yeah. Uh, so, if you look at the uh, investment in the, in the sector today, it is very different from what has been happening until recently, right? So, previously AT&T or Telstra, the telecom operators in other countries like Etisalam, uh, would uh, pick up a equity stake or buy or uh, you know uh, uh, put an FDI in the telecom companies. Today, it is Facebook, Google, and other internet firms that are putting in money. Why? Because the value appropriation is more on the content and applications rather than on the bandwidth. Right. So, given that uh, India has a huge strength, but the strength is just the numbers. Right. So, we have about you know even give or take. The millions, that 650 million broadband subscribers is a huge uh, potential base for any internet firm to tap into. And therefore, I see that we still have a lot of opportunity for the telecom firms to appropriate values uh, along with the internet firms. So uh, I won't uh, be surprised if, for example, Amazon is interested in picking up a stake in Airtel, for example, right? Uh, because uh, it will uh, include. Uh, you know uh, the, the the synergic operation of the uh, of the electronic commerce firm along with this digital cloud offering, along with the telcos offering. So we will see, we will continue to see more and more interest in the internet space. I won't say specifically telecom because the telecom firms do provide internet services, and therefore the internet firms should be interested in telecom uh, per se. But in general, because of the huge digital consumption potential in the country, I will still continue to bet on the telecom sector, telecom and internet services sector as a potential uh, you know, venue for investment both by private equity firms as well as the internet firms in the world. Mr. Singhal, so, uh, you know, basis of what uh, Dr. Sridhar said, you think somebody like Vodafone Idea should actually uh, pivot on their offering combined with somebody like Amazon and say, you know, here's what we're going to give our customers? I think they should do that. In my mind, the game has just begun. And as I said earlier, I keep on looking at around, looking around me, and I only see the tip of the iceberg. I very much doubt we will see uh, what is. So, uh, what they should do is, you see, Airtel has also a very strong partner, and as a matter of fact, Google wanted to go with uh, Airtel. They were looking at them, and by the by the way, Vodafone has a very close relationship with Google in the rest of the world. So it's, it's, it's a little bit intriguing as to how come they went with Geo and not with them in the industry, uh, in the Indian uh, scenario. So, uh, and uh, the triple play of e-commerce, the triple play of uh, uh, e-commerce including payments, etc., and entertainment, Healthcare, agriculture, everything you know included. There's lots and lots and lots which can be done. There could be billions of devices uh, interconnected to uh, shop floors, to uh, our growing fields, uh, to sense the uh, moisture in the uh, 
ground and uh, you know various things the state of the crop how much is it going not going good price points selling there are a whole lot of things which can be done uh, if we have good connect and uh, uh, i think the key is connectivity so let me say again the game has just begun uh, i'd like to you know bring our uh, conversation to conclusion here thank you so much you gave us a wonderful perspective on what uh, we've been through as an industry in the country and what awaits us uh, in time to come appreciate your time uh, mr singhal and uh, professor sridhar thank you so much for joining us uh, this afternoon thanks bharat thank you